<laughs> breathe. Everyone, everyone, listen. I want you to f- find your two sit bones if you're sitting. Put your hand on it. Pull them to the side. Move your butt cheeks out of the way. And then put your hands on your kind of put your hands in your butt. Hug yourself. <laughs> Give yourself a hug. I like that better than hands on your ribs. Like just hug your body. Breathe, like squeeze it tight. Breathe. Put your hands kind of under your armpit area, like on the side, your side bodies. And breathe into your hands, into your back body, and feel the air. Hopefully, move down towards your butthole. All the way. But if it doesn't make it down to the butthole, that's okay. Just blow all your air out. Pause for a few seconds at the end of that exhale. Feel empty. Feel like what it feels like to be completely empty. Then move the tongue to the roof of the mouth. Open your nose. Breathe into your hands, into your back body. Send that air into your butthole. Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. <laughs> breathe into your butt. Okay, so that reminds me of a beef I have with box breathing. And oh, maybe, no. okay, so box breathing is when you inhale for four or whatever X amount of seconds, then you hold mm-hmm. it for X amount, exhale for X amount, and then hold it for X amount. But mm-hmm. because inhales stimulate our sympathetic nervous system, holding an inhale is one like hyperventilating us and like, you know, we're in that open rib position, which is not bad. You get a stretch there. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like that gets me caught in a sympathetic drive. So I think it should be like inhale for whatever amount of seconds, exhale, and then hold it like a triangle breath instead of a box breath. Anyway. Yeah. Super, super fat triangle breath. Yeah. But I do see um, the benefit of holding the inhale as far as stretching because you're using your air to stretch. So you, those intercostals and flats and yeah. stuff. And how I kind of feel. So there is research on like exclusive belly breathing. There is supporting it as um, helpful and box things like box breathing and other breathing techniques that there is evidence to support that it has a positive impact on our nervous system. And how I kind of feel about it is that it's bringing our attention to our body. Mm -hmm. And that is helpful. I think that we can be more efficient and I'm all about efficiency. (laughs) right? And so if I have to box breathe for this long and then do this for this long and do this for this long, and then I feel more, feel maybe more in tune, but it's, um, whereas like I can do one long exhale, hold it out until I feel like I might pass out. Okay. Maybe not quite that long, but hold it out for a long time and then get my tongue up to the roof of my mouth and do like one or two good inhales into my back body and then pause again. in that long inhale, I need like two breaths and I'm like, good. All right. We're back. 
Yep. And so, um, so I think it's good for people to have variety and options. Um, and maybe in a situation where someone really is holding on to sympathetics, it feels safer for them to like more slowly shift into a parasympathetic state potentially. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm opening my yeah. mind to like yeah. those as other options. Do I think that we don't need to hold inhales? I don't think we need to hold inhales, but, <laughs> but it's better um, than not paying attention to your breath. Right. So. It's like the mindfulness. It's the, the taking the time to like focus on your breathing in your body that I think has like a nice global impact. So I'm not going to discount it as shit, but and holding- there's better stuff. Right. Maybe holding the inhale slows down your breath because slower breathing also tips you into that parasympathetic state. So maybe that's the goal. But yeah, I still am not on board with holding the in-breath, which breathing can be a very, very effective pain management tool, especially when you've had a C-section and you're trying to move and you have pain from the surgery and you're overwhelmed with a new baby and motherhood and being in a hospital and all of the things, you can really harness that breath. Right. And in postpartum in general, our abdominal wall now lacks any support that it it once had from that uterus. Now we've now cut through that abdominal wall. Telling postpartum people or people who've had a vaginal birth or cesarean birth, but in this is particularly cesarean birth, you can imagine that it feels like horrible to breathe into their belly. Yeah. It might not be great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. We want to feel like the normal rise and fall of the, the abdomen and that that movement will start to initiate some good, good healing. But what let's, let's put breath somewhere else. Right. Cause that's what often gets taught when for like bowel movements or coughs or sneezes, it's like pillow across low belly to support the incision so that we don't have larger motions of our breath on, on the abdomen. Mm-hmm. Cause that feels better. Well, I think inadvertently what that also does is forces us to put our breath into other, other parts of our body that might be tight particularly our back body, our side body, and our posterior pelvic floor, um, which then in turn helps us dial into parasympathetics um, and rest recover more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I used to do that. I I feel like early postpartum, I did a lot, not like all the time or not as much as someone who had had an abdominal surgery, but like supporting ab wall with hands or a pillow usually felt really good. Yeah. And I think that's because if you're generating pressure with like a cough or a sneeze or movement, and that pressure is pushing outward on your ab wall, putting pressure inward on your ab wall, kind of balance that stress out versus stretching that incision. But also as you're healing from a C-section, doing those belly breaths um, or like getting that chest and belly to move together could be really good scar mobilization and getting it like moving again. So do you have any qualms about 360 breathing, right? So when you see like the, see these lower ribs and how they flare all the way. (laughs) No, (laughs) exactly. I I think 360 breathing is the goal. 
But when we have a tendency to breathe forward, working on a 360 breath isn't going to get you a 360 breath. It's going to exaggerate the forward and you need to get the side and the back expansion to eventually get the 360 breath. Yeah. Right. Like that. So like when someone is doing that and they're standing upright and you can see the ribs expand laterally, you can see them expand laterally and anterior posteriorly, but just through the bottom, isn't really maximizing the range of motion of the diaphragm. Still, it's still not maximizing the range of motion of the diaphragm. It's better than just push air into your belly, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's still like, it's almost there. We're almost there. Let's, now exhale, draw those ribs in. And I'm, I always am tempted to tell people like, kind of keep your draw, ribs drawn in a little bit, little tension, and, little hug and, and, and see where else that air can go. So if you're only breathing into like those parts of your lungs, then yeah. you're not getting the upper parts of your lungs, that apical expansion. And so you need those abs to anchor your ribs down to help the diaphragm move through its full range of motion. Otherwise it's not going to. It needs to provide that opposition for movement. And like, I, I feel like I've had a whole series of clients lately of all with who've had all different types of births, cesarean vaginal births, where they've been like doing that our, our treatment plan has nothing to, we don't do a single lower body exercise. It is all support abdomen, support low ribs, teach them how to like expand other parts of their rib cage without their neck, without their shoulders drawing up. And things then are like, feel so much better. Because what do we do 24 seven from birth to death? breathe man we breathe so you have to hone in on those breathing mechanics because they can either wreck you or like make you feel amazing yeah and and i think what would be a almost a better activity than put your hands on your low ribs and like force air into those areas is just put your hands like on your rib cage and notice your tendencies that's what I do with clients in, in clinic when we're kind of testing their, their rib cage motion with their breath. I'm not trying to change the way that anyone is in that moment. We're just noticing when there is a bit more challenge on our breath, what is our pattern? Is our pattern more, oh, I feel like I need more air. I'm going to pull in with my neck muscles, or I feel like I need more air. Am I going to tighten my back or I'm going to tighten my butt? And so it helps us differentiate different categories of people because we're not all neck breathers. We're not all belly breathers. We're not all back breathers. And so knowing that about yourself is incredibly empowering to go, "Mm, my, when I feel a little bit more stressed, I tighten my neck. I'm going to do neck releasing activities to help regulate my system. Or I'm a back breather. I tighten my back muscles when I'm stressed. I'm going to do activities that help me release that area of tension. And so we can be more specific and more intentional about the cueing and the exercises that we choose for someone based on their body and what it does versus, oh, you have pelvic floor tension, put your hands on those little ribs, expand where that might not be what that person needs. Right. And if we haven't assessed it, we don't know. And this, all right, that was a bit there, of a rant. <laughs> it is, but like there's mixed messages, I think, on social media, especially when you don't understand the nuances of breathing, is you want 
eccentric ab control on your inhales. That is the key. Like, yes, we want those abs to concentrically like close the rib cage on the exhales for rib mobility, but you have to control them on the inhales. Otherwise your back and neck are going to take over and they have no, nothing is pulling against them in that tug of war and you're going to lose control of your breathing. So for, so for our, for every other person, (laughs) I know, right. Eccentric ab control, eccentrics in muscle. So there's concentric and eccentric concentric is when a muscle is shortening and tightening and eccentric is when a muscle is still working, but it's getting longer. So if we think of it like a bicep curl, when we curl the bicep up, that's a concentric contraction, shortening contraction. How I remembered it in school was a con man you want to bring to jail. Like I did weird, (laughs) you know, weird brain things. (laughs) Eccentric right? Then it's just the opposite is that even though we're going away from the, the, the muscle is getting longer, it's going away from us. It's still activating. There's still control. There's still control. So we know this orthopedically, or we know this from strength training is that if you just curl the weight up and then drop it and then curl the weight up and drop it, that's not as effective as I curl the weight up and I slowly lower the weight back down. We actually get more hypertrophy of muscles in that lengthening phase and our muscles actually get stronger in that lengthening phase. So why wouldn't we strengthen our abdominals through that eccentric phase? If we know, if the also, if the goal is to help mobilize a cesarean scar, help heal a diastasis recti, we need eccentrics. We well, need even that pelvic floor control. Oh, like even yeah, same, you, you need it thing. even to, to heal your pelvic floor because yes. those abs have to control and stabilize the ribs and pelvis as you inhale for one mm-hmm. to get that air all the way down to your pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor can lengthen, but two, yep. like that stability of the pelvis is really huge in the position. Yeah. So, so I think how we we're trying to stay on topic with this is so important for it doesn't because like the condition doesn't matter and this is what I talk about in the group I talk about in the group is that the condition doesn't mean shit yeah so if you have prolapse for example and your pelvic floor tests weak if you only ever work on the shortening phase you're only ever going to get so far you're never yeah you're never going to get back to function because so much of our pelvic floor function requires pelvic floor lengthening and it is harder to do. And so even though the exercise might look like we're just relaxing the pelvic floor, we're lengthening the pelvic floor, that's really hard work for those muscles. And, um, I think that's where the pendulum swung in the pelvic health world from only Kegels to only lengthening. And I think we have more success with only lengthening because it's, it's not just relaxing. It's actually eccentrically strengthening the pelvic floor, but it stopped there. Now we need to swing all the way through back to the other side of <laughs> concentric, okay. eccentric, concentric. <laughs> then we need to be able to do it all the time in some different ways. Um, and so that's, to me, that's the, that's the end. Yeah. Or not the end, but that's how we get asymptomatic of things. Yes. Control of the entire range of motion in all of the ways. We, and we know this in other areas, right? 
right? Like this is not a, this is not earth shattering for any other area of the body. So why is this earth shattering for the pelvic floor? I think because people don't like to talk about the pelvic floor, don't really understand pelvic biomechanics as well mm-hmm. as we, they should. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more complicated than a bicep or a hamstring, right. you know, like <laughs> I would say yes, but is that an excuse? No, it's not an excuse, but especially when you can't see it, you're like, Oh, it's good. It's good in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so when you are a pelvic floor PT, I argue is that you can see, you can't well, see yeah. it, but you can feel it. See it with your hands. Yeah. And, or you can help the patient feel it. Right. And then once they, once they feel it, it's like, we're off to the, we're off to the races. So circling back to C-sections because it's C-section <laughs> awareness <on> month. <laughs> stay on track. PSA, we do not stay on track. <laughs> um, C-section awareness month is April mm-hmm. and about 30% of you moms listening have probably had one. So I think talking, and I think we've done an episode on at least we've talked about C-sections. I'll, I'll link it. We did it with in, um, empower your pelvis with Amanda Fisher and, um, Morgan, Morgan. Yep. Um, from empower your pelvis. And so I will, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes, that episode. Yeah. I think as with anything, the more, you know, going into C-section, the more empowered you're going to feel, even though it might feel like you don't have power in the situation. Um, but there's so many things you can do as far as like talking with your OB about like the atmosphere you want, or, um, if you'll be able to like use a clear drape to see the baby come out, or if you're going to get skin to skin time right away, those kind of things to give you a little bit more of what you want in your experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in that preparation for birth process, you know, even if the birth plan, which, you know, I have my own opinions about, but if the birth plan is go with the flow, do what's best for me and do what's best for the baby. And so you don't have a particular preference on, on the birth process. I think it's still so important to understand and know about all the things that can happen. And so, so even preparing for my, you know, my second birth, I was listening to cesarean stories. I was listening, I was learning about, okay, yeah. What, what, if that is a scenario that comes up, can I mentally um, process what is going to happen so that if, when I'm in that the first time, it's not so frightening or so scary um, because it's okay. I'm, and I know what questions to ask and I know what preferences I have if that is, is the scenario. And so yeah, I think that the, with it, with any type of birth, um, the more informed we are and the more we feel like we are part of the decision-making process and we get informed consent for these types of things, um, the better experience everyone's gonna, gonna have, which is why doulas are amazing. And I think, I think sometimes C-section moms don't, don't think that they need a doula or that kind of thing. But I mean, I, I can, I can imagine that that would I would still want a doula, even if I was having a planned C-section. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as far as, you know, knowing that you're going to have a C-section, some things that you can, and this could probably apply to vaginal birth too, but 
um, learning how to get in and out of the bed, like via log roll or having your spouse, like learn how to help assist you up and down, knowing that, you know, you could grab a pillow to hug if you have to cough or sneeze, making sure that your diet and hydration is good leading up to your C-section, or maybe, you know, if you need to take laxatives before so that your poop is not hard, you're not constipated because that will put more pressure on your ab wall when you have to poop. So all of those things can kind of prep you into a little bit easier experience because you already know. I tell my moms all the time, doesn't matter what kind of birth you have, the more you know going in, because when you have a baby, especially first time moms who don't understand just like how you get flipped upside down when a new baby comes they're like oh yeah I'll learn that after or like I'll start PT after birth or whatever but it is so so beneficial to learn the moves to learn the breathing patterns to learn the goals of movement before you give birth because your brain width and your headspace after birth is so limited and learning right. new things postpartum is really really hard Right. I would even say things like um, breastfeeding, taking a breastfeeding class, maybe meeting with a little HA league group or an IBCLC before giving birth, Mm -hmm. Um, especially the first time, but even subsequent um, pregnancies, because yeah, the, the more, you know, the more you have your network in place is like, so, so much knowledge and information you can gain so that again, yeah, it's not such a dramatic shift of trying to care for your body, trying to care for a baby, trying to learn how to feed a baby, um, managing your recovery and, and yeah, for sure. And then the one thing, and I think we talked about this on the episode with, um, empower your pelvis, but all C-section moms should know about scar mobs and what you can do in those first, you know, up to six weeks. That's not directly on the scar, but just like moving tissues around the scar, not directly on the incision, Um, breathing techniques to start mobilizing, gentle rib mobilization exercises. And then when the scab is off, you can start putting pressure on the scar, which is usually six to eight weeks, and like moving things around in all directions, the entire length of the scar going gradually getting deeper and deeper. So you get through that skin and muscle layer down to the organ layer, like laying on your back with your knees bent, you're going to be able to get the deepest. So like around that bladder, um, up to five minutes a day. But I learned from birth healing. That's her name, right? Birth healing, Lynn Schulte. Yeah. She said that scar tissue can develop up to two years postpartum or two years post C-section. And so getting that full tissue mobility, but then doing kind of maintenance, like once a month checking in to make sure you've maintained the tissue mobility um, is really important up to two years. So I think that is something that kind of boggles people's minds. Yeah. Sometimes my advice on, on that scar tissue is like, okay, we've got, um, when, once we can start to get on it more directly, can it move in all directions? Yeah. How do that, how does it feel through that deepest layer? And then, and then I tend to prioritize movement over 
direct contact, once it seems to be heading in a good direction, I say, okay, now we need to challenge your abdominals in all three planes of motion, challenge it in all different directions, because in terms of like moving, actually moving that tissue is going to be more helpful for the scar. But I I think that's cool to know that I would keep like keep doing check-ins on its mobility. Um, but we're also going to be challenging it mobility through movement. Right. Yeah. And, and I hear all the time when moms start to get back to working out, they're like, Oh, I get the sharp pain when I Mm -hmm. do this or that. And I'm like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you've been cleared to work out and you're like progressing back, given the exercise isn't too challenging. Right. But when you start getting back to like, especially exercises that are going to recruit a lot of abs, you might get some like pulling a little bit, right. Or like some like weird sensations because those muscles are pulling on the scar to mobilize it. It's not really a bad thing. You don't want to be doing that for a half hour probably. Cause you're going to pay for it later. It's going to get sore, but like every once in a while, if you get like a pull, that could be a good thing. Um, mm. given that healing has, you know, has not been complicated and things are ready for that stress. Yeah. Like having worked with people who've had knee replacements or who had like knee surgeries is that, yeah, we want to work on that scar initially, but mainly we want to work on that scar so that it's the scar tension is not a limiting factor in your knee range of motion. Mm -hmm. So same thing for, for the abdominal walls. Like we just want to make sure that your function is optimized, even though there's a scar there. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else for tips for C-sections? Again, for positioning with, instead of using, using a pillow, having a reclined, you know, when you're reclined or, um, I know, I know, um, Jesse Mundell always talks about having like a hospital bed for her C-section recovery at home. Um, just so that she could have like that, the head up and down move. And that was some, that was something that she thought was really important for her that, or getting like the props or the pillows or the things that are going to help make that easier in those first days. Um, and then lactation support, maybe different breastfeeding positions or different breastfeeding considerations for cesarean moms because of fluids or because of different hormonal shifts that happen for cesarean moms that can have an impact on, on breastfeeding. So making sure that you're getting that support and that you are more, you are, as worthy, if not more worthy for pelvic, for physical therapy. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, so when I, when I decided I wanted to go all in, in, in pelvic floor physical therapy, I didn't want to be the, the physical therapist who went orthopedic and pelvic health, because I didn't want it to have to be a disclaimer that I treated the whole body that <laughs> I am a pelvic floor physical therapist and I can treat your pelvic floor condition. I can treat internally. I can do all of these things. And so I'm going to own that as my label now for someone who had an abdominal birth, they might not feel like, Oh, that's pelvic floor physical therapy. That's for the pelvic floor to which I say, ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, you know, like the term, like women's health is problematic also, but, but like it is, we understand the issues that you're going through physical things. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like what is the branding? What is like the branding choice on that? Because holistic, holistic, I'm a holistic physical, but yeah, spelled like, like 
W-H-O-L. Yeah. Like holistic. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I want to treat people who are dealing with pelvic floor problems. That's why I call myself a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I treat the whole body. And if someone, I have a, I have a handful of clients that don't have pelvic floor problems. Disclaimer, C-section moms have pelvic floor issues. Oh, like 100%. I think people assume that since they had a C-section that they're immune to pelvic floor issues. Right. No, absolutely. Not the case. You carried it. You carried a baby on your pelvis for nine months, a pelvic floor for nine, or, you know, in your pelvis for a long time. And the, the, we can't separate the function of the abdominal wall, the pelvic floor, the diaphragm in the back. Yeah. Because in the hip and the hip, we cannot separate those things. Right. They aren't separate. When you have a C-section, you lose that pelvic support for a little bit while well, those abs are healing. So what's that going to do your pelvic floor? It might get, right. it might have to overstabilize and it might get hypertonic and you might get constipated yeah. with hemorrhoids or prolapse or mm-hmm. whatever, because that system, something happened in that system, even though it wasn't directly right. to the pelvic floor. So it's like a system physical therapist. I'm a system Ooh. physical therapist. Holistic system. I'm a, whole, I'm, a <laughs> I'm a holistic system physical whole I'm body. A, I'm a pumps. I'm a I'm a plum. I'm like a a body pump. Oh my gosh! Therapist. I was thinking about the lungs. Okay, this t- kind of ties into the ribs okay. but, and the abs. But okay, so if you imagine each lung as like a tire. I was like doing this on my run, and so you know how like the right lung tends to be over compressed, right? So like, so you're losing air on that side. Cause it, you can't like pump it up. This like was stemmed from like a post from postural restoration. So then like your compression is more on that right side because you're losing air in that right lung and the body kind of like falls to the right, but you want to like, pump. you don't want to fall. You don't want to actually fall to the right. Right. You want to be able to like blow up that right lung so you can compress on the left and then alternate. That was a tangent, but I love that image in my mind of like how the lungs are so important to like, and how air pumps our bodies and like determines where our center of mass is and our movement patterns. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. And, and so I think the, if we think of the respiratory changes for someone who, who maybe um, has a bit of a tendency to breathe abdominally, right? Already, like before pregnancy. Now we have a cesarean scar that is very painful. Their compensation might change or layer on top of itself. And yeah, then again, the pelvic floor becomes the victim of some of these pain compensations or these discomfort compensations, which then drive us into more pain and drive us into more discomfort. And so how do we break that cycle? And sometimes, oftentimes we have to break that cycle, like away from where the pain is away from where the dysfunction is so that the system can regulate mm-hmm. and that pressure can regulate again. Was that on privy or was that, um, on no, their Instagram? Um, they shared it. Maybe it wasn't directly from them. No, I think someone at the postural restoration Institute made the infographic what are some other good like must have pieces of equipment do you think for someone who's recovering from a c-section like if you had to put together a gift basket for someone who just had a c-section what would you what would you give well obviously grippy socks but grippy socks (laughs) uh, squatty potty 
to help uh-huh. that pressure a tight cam like a tighter nursing cami for a little bit of support without and I don't some people may not like that initially that compression on Mm -hmm. the incision but once it heals and you can tolerate that but also with c-section you want to desensitize because Mm -hmm. the nerves have been cut through so they're going to be angry because they've been cut and so you have to teach the nerves how to feel and sense again so rubbing different textures over your c-section scar after the scab has fallen off and you're in those later phases of healing Um, maybe like a little basket of different textured items yeah like soft and like a soft brush maybe or so you kind of want to graduate you want to start with very soft things like a cotton swab or cloth or whatever and then when those are tolerable you get a little bit more texturized yeah. Cause I hear a lot of times it's like they're jean, like they can't wear jeans, like that, that yeah. rough texture of denim is too much. So, yeah. so if the goal is to then be able to wear jeans, let's, let's build up to denim, yeah. but also just buy bigger jeans. <laughs> yeah. Like the number doesn't mean anything. Just be comfortable. Mm. <laughs> like yeah. Be comfortable. Calm, I think would be good mm. yep. for the magnesium. Magnesium. And just for pooping making sure yep. you're keeping things soft I don't know. Um, water bottle water i would say like a grabber <laughs> like yeah. a little grabby hook <laughs> a bell so you so don't you have can to try. like reach too too high or too low i kind of want one of those now and i'm not <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like yeah. having to bend over and pick things up DoorDash mean, certificates I mean, yeah you get like real not, fancy. just just decreasing especially in those first couple of weeks just the demand of um, like household activities that are required and just really allowing for that healing to happen and that you are prioritizing the newborn in your body and, but also getting help even with the newborn care that when you need it. Um, so when I had Elsie, my third, the best thing that someone did for me, well, there was a lot of really awesome things, but um, I had a friend bring pre-made like breakfast sandwiches mm-hmm. that are in the freezer, but also kids snacks. Cause I had a two and a three-year-old and a deployed husband at the time. So like little apples, um, you know, those like cut up sliced apple bags and cube cheese and all of these like great kid snacks that they could just like grab and go. So I didn't have to be constantly feeding them. That was amazing. So any like second or plus mm. time moms. That's mm-hmm. a great gift for them. Snacks. Yeah. Snack food for mom, snacks for mom. Always. Yep. Snacks for other kids. Always just take the other kids. Yeah. Away. <laughs> just take them. <laughs> just Not take them. forever. <laughs> but hey, if they want. <laughs> yeah. Like nursing snacks are always really good. Like Amazon has some mm-hmm. really cool snack packs of I mean you can get healthier options but just mm-hmm. things that you can put at your like table side or wherever you're right. sitting and just so grab I did buy myself this time one of those little like movable carts yes like a that a cart that had my like a, the pump it had the haka it had burp cloths it had snacks it had like on each level of the cart and like it was easy to move around and so if I was parked on the couch for a while I could leave it by the couch if I was I'd move it into the bedroom if um which was on the same floor so it was easy yeah that was definitely an Instagram hack that I learned in my through my second pregnancy and like 
definitely was helpful for sure. Keep, keep your pregnancy pillow. Don't toss it. You no, know, I it. wish I had mine still. <laughs> like, <five laughs> like yeah. Use that for, for support for sure. I don't know where my, oh, we in the, I feel like so many of So when you move, I feel like so much of your crap just like goes missing. Yeah. Um, Alrighty. Well, hopefully you learned some good tips to help with your postpartum recovery. Um, and yeah, know your bush. Love your bush. Share the bush you love. love. Oh, it. <laughs> what is it? We don't I thought know it was, yet. I thought it was share. Because you said, we said spread was a little bit too. Oh, on the nose. <laughs> okay. Share the bush you love. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead.